Welcome to the Washdown Podcast, episode number 80. And tonight we have Patrick Bainbridge and Kara Hall from the Kansas City VA Suicide Prevention Team. Uh, Patrick has been with the VA for over six years, and the last three and a half, he's been a suicide prevention coordinator. Um, graduated from the University of Kansas with an MSW in 2007, and Kara um, has worked 12 plus years uh, with homeless veterans um, and graduated from the University of Georgia uh, with an MSW in 2004. Uh, we had a great conversation. Um, I hope you guys learned some stuff, um, get something out of it. Um, I know I did. So without uh, further ado, here is Patrick Bainbridge and Kara Hall from the Kansas City VA Suicide Prevention Team. Um, enjoy. Whoa, whoa, easy on the P word, okay? <laughs> like I'm a professional firefighter, podcaster, yeah, maybe not so much. <laughs> Anything to add? No. No? <laughs> Did that come through okay? Uh, yeah, sure. All right. <laughs> well, Kara, Patrick, yeah. thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, why don't we start with introductions? Um, you guys just tell everybody who you are and, you know, kind of what you do and why you're here. So okay. who wants to go first? You've been at the VA longer. You guys are lo looking at me. Yes, I have. Today is my 13th anniversary oh, right. wow. of employment at the VA. Congratulations. So, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I've been a social worker since 2004 done different things before I got to the VA, I worked in the homeless program for a long time, and just recently in the last year came over to suicide prevention. Um, so, I mean, we can talk about what that means at the VA, but really we are a team of providers that are helping other VA staff do what it takes to prevent veteran suicide. That's what we're doing. Um, cool. Doing a lot of education, a lot of tracking, um, keeping up with our high-risk veterans okay yeah um i've been at the va uh six years now um i did a internship in the va way back in 06 um and i really enjoyed the experience um worked through a couple different uh programs within the mental health service line really enjoyed that um and then i graduated in 07 and then of course that's what I, when the economy was kind of like tanking and everything. And I was like terrified I was going to walk out with all the student debt and no job. So I just accepted the first job that offered me, which happened to be in a maximum security prison, Lansing Correctional Facility over on the Kansas side. So uh, I did about a five and a half year bit. That's how I like to reference it there. <laughs> uh, you, I... you feel like you're part of the, uh, you know, residency there. Um, and then I... Moved from there to uh, Wyandotte County Adult Detention Center. Did about three and a half more years there. So over nine years total in correctional mental health. Um, the whole time trying to kind of work back to the VA was the ultimate goal because I wanted to come back. I enjoyed working with the veterans. I enjoyed the experience. Um, and finally, uh, I got on at the VA um, starting as a social worker in the outpatient mental health clinic for about three years. And then... Uh, got on with the suicide prevention program, um, 
in 2018. Uh, at that time, additional funding came into the VA for strictly suicide prevention. You know, prior to that, the big thing was homelessness, which, uh, and so the, the homeless programs greatly expanded with the influx of new funding. Um, so a lot of great work was being done within the homeless program, and then the VA national attention turned to suicide prevention, and so then they, uh, you know, approved a, a lot more funding for the suicide prevention programs, and then at that time, uh, prior to me starting suicide prevention, the Kansas City VA had one suicide prevention coordinator to do essentially what we're four of us are doing now. So it expanded, finally got uh, the staffing level that it, you know, we still need more. Um, but I've been in suicide prevention ever since then, the last three years. So, yeah. Mm. And I saw that in your bio, you graduated from the University of Georgia. Yes, I did. Go dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I grew up in Louisiana, so it's oh, a whole SEC, SEC. thing. SEC. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh. I try to explain that to people around here. If and, you've not experienced the SEC yeah. You don't really know. Yeah. I would, well, one of the guys, because I play rec league softball Sunday nights, and they like the old Miss uniforms. And I was mm -hmm. like, you, you don't understand. I, I can't wear that. Right. Like, in any way, shape, or form. Like, even if it's yeah. just the colors, I, I can't do it. <laughs> That's amusing. My son's baseball's color scheme is the old Miss yeah. color scheme, though. Yeah. Like, pretty sweet. So, yeah. That's a little sidebar thing. Right. Um, so, obviously... We'll talk about, you know, what mm -hmm. you guys do and all that stuff. Um, I do want to start off with a question, though, sure. um, because in doing research, you know, for this podcast and to talk to you guys, I kind of wanted to brush up on some of that stuff as, I mean, my wife is a therapist. She works with mm -hmm. veterans and first responders and all that stuff. But I was looking and I found several articles and YouTube videos of people talking about it. And I kind of just want to get you guys' take on the consensus seemed to be, at least from what I was seeing, that we're talking about it too much and that it's having a detrimental effect. I don't have an opinion either way because if you mm -hmm. don't talk about it, then how do you prevent it? But right. then what's the, you know, where's the line? What What do you mean you're hearing that, like, from veterans perspectives or clients perspectives well from from veterans perspectives that so it's... like there's a bunch of youtube videos mm. you can go and watch and then you know and they're veteran made and one of them the military to millionaire or something like that he did a big mm -hmm. like 20 minute video on it and saying you know and he cited a whole bunch of things about you know how suicide wasn't a thing in some places and then one person commits suicide and then all of a sudden you have a rash of them I mean, what's the what's I, I the get, take on the, that? The feedback I get when I hear veterans say that they get tired of being asked that question is that it kind of loses. If you're not asking in a way that you're really asking about them, if you're just kind of doing it to check a box, they don't like that, of course. Right. Um, so that's what I the feedback I've gotten is that that's what people don't like. They don't, and I experience that with my own doctor. If I just go through, you know, have an appointment and they just run through a whole bunch of questions, that doesn't feel good. So I think that's probably what people are talking about. And I think you're kind of referencing the, you know, people sometimes think suicide's contagious, right. you know, kind of a kind of an epidemic that goes on. And I, I, I don't know about that. I don't know what you think, Patrick, but that's my, that's my first thoughts on that. Yeah, I would, 
that just oh, that gives me pause to hear that that people are concerned that we're talking about it too much because mm-hmm. yeah. there's so many barriers to to people and veterans and you know suicide isn't just um prevalent within the veteran community i mean it's a national issue as well mm-hmm. um and the va is hoping through their efforts that not only will it impact the veterans but the veterans communities they live in and by extension you know that community as a whole but we've had so many barriers to people accessing care so many barriers of people not wanting to admit there's an issue not want to admit they're a problem not want to you know get into care that you know if, if we stifle that conversation anymore what you know then i that just that yeah. just stuns me a little bit to be honest to, to hear that that people well maybe we shouldn't talk about it so much yeah well there's so much stigma to begin with and that would just stigmatize it even more Exactly. So then, what's the <laughs> so then what's the suggestion? Yeah. <laughs> if we're not going to talk about it more, because we do want to talk about it, you know, the whole idea of it's not okay, it's okay to be not okay, you know, because there's lots of people that are you know struggling out there that for various reasons don't want to talk about it or admit it for you know for a lot of reasons, um, and to have a message then that well you're right you shouldn't talk about it. That uh, to me, that we're we're running way counter to the, where we want to be with these conversations. Yeah, so and, that's concerning to me to hear that. Yeah, and I mean, kind of feel the same way because it's the same way that mental health is felt mm-hmm. or looked at with fire departments and stuff. I mean, it's getting better, but there's still a huge stigma. Oh, and, for sure. You know, it's still that whole you got that old mentality of, well, if you can't hack it, then you need to find a different line of line mm-hmm. of work. You know. And yeah, that's and just the wrong way to go about it. I don't think Patrick has heard your story, and I don't know if you want to do that right now, but, I mean, that, that was really impactful when I first met you. Um, what you'd gone through and, and just what you're up against culturally with the fire department. Um, not, you know, not any one person, but just, just kind of the expectation of, you know, holding it together, just going out for a drink, and that being the solution to stress, managing stress. Um. So I, I don't know if you want to share any of that or if this may not be the right time for that, but. Well, and I just, you know, thinking more <laughs> on what you said, <laughs> it's just like talking about it too much. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I think by talking about it and not, you know, uh, you know, talking about suicide, but also just talking about, you know, mental health struggles or, you know, personal struggles, you know, not every struggle is a mental health struggle. Sometimes it's a, you know, a, a Life experience struggle. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. You know, a financial struggle or a legal struggle or, you know, a housing struggle or, you know, some of these medical, you know, these are risk factors that certainly left unchecked and unmanaged, certainly increase suicide risk and increase the possibilities of somebody having a suicidal crisis. But I think if we can eliminate or reduce the stigma of just talking about those things, then we're getting it what they like to call upstream you know, mm-hmm. having interventions, uh, you know, in place, access to care in place before we even get to the point where somebody's on that suicide risk curve. Yeah. So, you know, I think I, you know, we encourage the conversation, you know, part of suicide prevention um, within the VA is getting out there and talking to people, talking to as many people that will listen to us about the risk factors, the warning signs, how to intervene, you know, helping people understand and educate and identify resources in their area. You know, we understand not every veteran wants to come to the VA, but at least know where they can go. And so, 
you know, we want to talk to as many people as possible. So we're, we're trying to further that conversation. Yeah. Um, well, so. and that's the whole reason that we started this podcast. That's right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Cliff Notes version of my story is 15 years on. I cheated on my wife and then decided mm-hmm. I was going to shoot myself in the face because I was a giant piece of shit and I was a drunk. So and then I went through 30 days of inpatient therapy mm-hmm. and, you know, she saved my life. She pulled a gun out of my hand, not one, but two. So, yeah. And whenever I got out, decided to start this podcast and hopefully something that we say or something that a guest says catches somebody mm-hmm. and they don't get as far down that road. So, yeah. That's exactly right. Now, that was that was my point for bringing up your story because I think you really saw the value in people, this kind of conversation being normalized. Mm-hmm. Um, you want you want it to be comfortable for for people to know, like to re- be able to recognize when they're not doing well and what to do. When people don't talk about it, they remain isolated. And you want to talk about a risk factor? Feeling alone, being alone, isolated, feeling apart, mm-hmm. feeling separate. Yep. And That's... so, yeah, continuing to not talk about it, to not be able to feel like you can open up. I mean, to me, that just you're reinforcing and, and amplifying that, that isolation. Yeah. And that's concerning. You know, we, um, you know, we do a ton of administrative work within our job at the VA within suicide prevention, but we do, obviously we have opportunities to talk to, uh, veterans that are at high risk. You know, when they come on our radar and the suicide prevention team, these are veterans that have had recent suicidal behaviors. They've had a history of suicide attempts. Um, they've had dramatic increases in suicide risk factors. And so they come on our radar so we can help, uh, you know, with enhanced care delivery, ensuring they're getting the resources they need within the VA um, to to get them out of that period of risk. Um, and you know, when we talk to them, you you pick up on themes as far as how they're struggling and what's been going on and what was a catalyst and what was a trigger and what was present when you know they get to that point where they're starting to have suicidal thoughts or even thinking of you know I just don't want to live like this anymore. I wish I wouldn't wake up not even the, you know, statements of, I want to take my own life, but you know, a few things that tend to just be there more often is one is isolation. Mm -hmm. You know, they isolate, you know, people isolate differently because we're all individuals, but that's something that just tends to be there. And if we're encouraging people to not talk about it, not talk about it (laughs) and just, you know, you know, like I like to do, just stuff it way down inside, (laughs) tighten that cap. It'll hold, you know, we'll be good. Sure. Just leave it there for a while or years. You're good. Yeah. That leaky cardboard box is, it's not going to (laughs) leak. Yeah. It's not sitting in water. (laughs) Um, so that's the common theme of a lot of people that I've talked to. A lot of people that I've had on the podcast is I felt alone. I'm the only person that's ever gone through Mm -hmm. anything like this. And that is just your brain just lying, lying, lying. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, enhancing that sense of connectedness. I mean, you know, you always, you know, seem to feel a little better, a little, a little more something positive when you realize, you know what, this, I'm not the only one having this experience. So with, with whatever that is. So, um, yeah, we, we, we definitely encourage the conversations, yeah. you know, and as respectful, appropriate, you know, ways, but yeah, we want, you know, people to have those conversations. Good. Do you guys see, and I don't know if you even track that data or whatever, but people with TBI and being more susceptible or 
That can, uh, I mean, I don't know that we have data on that. I haven't seen that. But I, my guess is that impulsivity that sometimes comes with brain injury um, or just kind of perceiving things differently than they would normally would probably be a risk factor, just like any severe medical problem, um, chronic pain, uh, for sure. And that could come with TBI. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I haven't seen stats on that at the VA. I don't know if you have. I don't want to just, yeah, I mean, shout a bunch of data that I can't, uh, back up or anything, but I did, you know, I did a training here recently that talked about, um, you know, neurocognitive disorders and TBI was one of those that they talked about. And there's just, um, Along with TBI, there's a, a, a sizable portion of those with TBI that also have mood disorders mm-hmm. that go along with it. So, you know, TBI is a risk factor. You know, if you had another mood disorder, another mental illness on top of that, that just also increases risk. And yeah. so... You're just stacking problems at that for point. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So what's the big push? What do you guys, like, do and how do you get out and get the word out? Well, <laughs> so I actually, um, I changed positions within the suicide prevention program here just in the last month or six weeks, um, where we were both suicide prevention coordinators. That's what our suicide prevention team titles are. Um, but then I moved to a new position, a community engagement and partnership coordinator. Um, and it's part of suicide prevention 2.0 of the national VA about their, uh, essentially it's part of their public health approach to suicide prevention. Um, for a very long time, the VA essentially waited for veterans to come to it and the data and continue continues today tells us that most of the veterans that die by suicide are not attached to the VA at all, the healthcare benefits side, whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so they understood um, that there needed to be a change of approach. And so they looked at uh, implementing a more public health approach to suicide prevention. So they started expanding suicide prevention programs to be more in the community. Um, now, as suicide prevention coordinators, we have five outreaches a month that we're supposed to do, mandated to do in the community. And one of those includes a gatekeeper training, which essentially uh, educates individuals on what suicide risk factors and warning signs look like, how to ask the question, mm-hmm. are you having thoughts of suicide? Um, validating their experience and encouraging those individuals to get help, get into care. Um, but how many times have you explained that? (laughs) (laughs) It's not my uh, first rodeo. We have, we have an acronym called save and that's what he just kind of just ripped through real fast. (laughs) That's the save training. But yeah, I just, I just did that today for new employees and I'm also sick of hearing myself say that stuff. (laughs) So I asked the perfect question oh, yeah. then. Oh, we can do that in our sleep. <laughs> well, and it's our standard training that we provide to yeah. the community. You know, our, all our new employees get it. Um, when we do outreaches, um, the training piece, it's a form of save, kind of catering to whoever the audience is. So, you know, we've provided it to CIT classes. We've provided it to, um, you know, universities. We've provided it to clergy. we provide anybody to listen, nonprofits, to provide that information. Um but the the whole idea is to get out in the communities where veterans are. Um, suicide prevention coordinators uh, have a significant amount of work um, 
inside the walls still of the hospital. It's just kind of how I talk about it inside the wall and outside the wall mm-hmm. from my prison experience, obviously. <laughs> 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 you know, just tell me you don't have yeah. to get out by using a spoon. Well, if I, yeah. <laughs> if I ever move back into the hospital, I'll be rolled back in. Ah. I say, oh, I got rolled. Oh, so is that what it's called? Yeah, when you go from minimum or medium, oh, got rolled back to max. So hopefully it doesn't happen for me because oh, I enjoy funny. the community piece. Um, but it's, but then they so then they develop the community engagement and partnership coordinators. Um, they implemented that uh, two years ago, 2020-ish, in phases. Well, it finally hit Kansas City. We're phase three. Um, and so what this portion is, is identifying in our community, in our catchment area, which Kansas City has 23 counties in our catchment area, um, one, who's already out there doing the work with suicide prevention with veterans? You know, what organizations, what groups, whether for-profit, non-for-profit, you know, just a group of people, you know, who out there is doing the work, who's interested in doing the work, you know, who's touching veterans, um, and seeing where, uh, you know, we can support their suicide prevention efforts, whether it's um, helping them uh, figure out how to identify veteran service members and their families, you know, just, you know, where are they at in the community, um, helping those communities uh, increase uh, their ability to do suicide risk screenings, you know, um, kind of putting the communities, giving them the resources to, to help veterans and the service members and families in their own community, um, and basically working towards building, you know, like many coalitions throughout our catchment area to help identify veterans, identify veterans at risk, um, increase and improve uh, transitions of care, you know, whether they're leaving community hospitals, whether they're um, leaving, you know, even correctional facilities, local county jails, whether it's, um, you know, being identified at their doctor's office and, you know, uh, say, yeah, I'm a service member or I'm a veteran and, you know, this is what's going on, helping them, those you know, doctor's offices or those communities find resources for their veterans and not just the VA because they still may not want to come to the VA and that's, you know, that's okay. Um, but we want to help those communities identify where their resources are. Um, and then also talking to our communities about lethal means safety. You know, 70% of veterans utilize a firearm, uh, you know, for suicide attempt. It's a 90% mortality rate. So if you're using a firearm, most likely, you know, you've ended your life. So we talk about the importance of lethal means safety, um, safe, responsible firearm storage. Um, and then, you know, there's, you know, the other methods you use. So we talk about all that as well. Um, but we're just, you know, in our catchment, because the VA is so big, it usually rolls things out in phases. We just happen to be phase three. Um, so our community outreach efforts are going to really ramp up even more going forward here in the next, you know, year going forward. Um, but that's kind of how we've engaged the community, uh, so far, you know, we have other departments within the VA, mm-hmm. the women's health and whole health and intimate partner program. violence assistance program. They all have outreach mm-hmm. that they are expected to complete as well in the community. And, you know, those suicide prevention is obviously always a piece of that as well. So what is the metric for success? I, well, well, do you do you want to <laughs> open that door? <laughs> Do you know how it's, geeked out we can get on our spreadsheets and our percentages? That's the difficulty with suicide prevention is how do you measure lives saved? That's exactly. right. No. That's right. The, our, our measure is, you know, 
the 2021 national report came out at the end of the summer last year and the 22 one will come out sometime later this summer, maybe the beginning of fall. And, uh, the 21 report covered data from 2001 to 2019. It was one of the most comprehensive reports the VA had ever you know, put out as it related to, uh, veteran suicide. Um, but it went up to 2019 because they don't just take data from the VA. It's from, other governmental health departments, states, you know, you name it. So CDC. it took right. take, take CDC, it takes mm-hmm. time to, you know, to get all that data. Yeah. Um, and anyway, so it comes out 2019 is the last year of measurement. And within the report, they always, you know, will have uh, what they call anchors of hope, you know, things within the data that you can hang your hat on and say, Hey, this is something that's positive. And one of the anchors of hope, I think it was even the first one, was that from 2018 to 2019, there was a raw count reduction in veteran suicides of 399. It's the biggest drop raw count number from one year to the other since, I think, like that was nationally. Nationally. Nationally, almost 400 fewer. Yeah. So that was, you know, an anchor of hope. Um, but, you know, and I, I reinforced that, but then I also point out to the, you know, the new employees and the people I talked to about it, there were still 6,200 veterans that died by suicide in 2019. So, you know, how do we measure our success? Well, I, we still lost 6,200 in 2019 and then COVID hit. So, you know, we're all kind of waiting, holding our breath to what this 2020 data is actually going to look like. Um, so, you know, it's, it's hard to, you know, I don't know. It's difficult to measure that. I think, you know, I know we, experience positive changes when we interact with veterans. We, you know, when we know we've, you know, veterans utilize their safety plans, when veterans get into care, when they call that crisis line, you know, utilizing the resources and seeing veterans and their families, you know, we get a lot of third party callers with that mm-hmm. crisis line. Um, you know, those are all positive things that let us know that, you know, there's some out there that are utilizing these resources. Um, but it's, yeah, with, with this particular, uh, thing it's it can be difficult because until that number zero i don't know if anyone's ever gonna say we're doing great yeah. you know? well and i asked that question to ask this one it's got to be mentally taxing on you guys day in and day out it's probably more on the providers at the va that are working directly with the veterans that are at high risk we we're in a support role with the providers so we don't have, uh, you know, appointments we necessarily keep with our veterans. Um, so we're really supporting psychiatrists, nurses, social workers, psychologists, um, and then across the hospital and other non-mental health service areas, we're supporting them. Uh, wouldn't you say, Patrick, that's kind of more our role? I mean, we do have some veteran contact. We we do some educational and support groups with our veterans, um, and we do respond to veteran crisis line. Um, one thing that I think is is rewarding and it's also really emotional is when we um, have to uh, you know let providers know that they've had a, a veteran die by suicide so that that's hard um, for you know for us and for and more for them you know but I, I see us as more support for other VA staff that are you know first line providers of services self-care I mean you know we're not <laughs> We're, you know, we're not dead on the inside. We joke about that a lot, but we're not, you know, we feel, you know, we, yeah. we, we experience emotions and positive emotions and negative emotions. You know, we, we're humans. Yeah. yeah. Probably the but, same type of sense of humor that 
the veterans well, and well, firefighters yeah. and cops all sure. have to. I mean, it's I think it's part of self care. Um, but you know, we you know we we talk to those providers and you know we talk to families that mm-hmm. have recently lost somebody to suicide and we you know we read things we read charts we read reports that have uh you know detailed information about a death and um yeah i mean it's uh you know you 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 frame it and you compartmentalize it and you you know you practice self-care and we have a great team right now yeah we do we're very fortunate Mm because you know i know there's you know you know, not all teams get along great or maybe they get along, but maybe they're not as supportive to each other. And so I think right mm-hmm. now we're in a good place. We're in a good place. Yeah. We get the work done. We have fun. Yeah. We, yeah, work hard. Uh, but also, I mean, I think we're, you know, we're playing the long game here. You know, we're, we're focusing yeah. on the incremental changes we can make now. And, uh, you know, even if we reduce, you know, the overall number dropped another thousand, you know, next year, that's still 5,200 veterans that died by suicide next year, hypothetically. Yeah. It's so, you try not, you just, you know, focus on what you can control. I'm sure a lot of people feel We focus on the, the one or two that we're, we're working with at that moment. Um, we try to stay, you know, be objective because we're not working directly with those veterans. We're, we're helping other people. So we have a little bit of the brain space to kind of zoom out a little bit and see what might be missing, what other supports we could suggest. We have a little bit of time to do that. I think that's kind of the nice thing about having us as a team um, because we're not meeting with veteran, 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 like all, all day, like most people are. We, we can kind of step back and look at the, you know, wider view of what's maybe, what could maybe help them, services that we, you know, could offer or a different approach with that veteran maybe to keep them engaged. Yeah. Well, and that's something that, you know, whenever you bring up suicide prevention or anything like that, everybody's like, well, what can we do to end it right now? Well, n- nothing. It's complicated. It's, it's a complicated Very issue. Complicated. And we have to take the long approach. I mean, because you have to celebrate those victories. Mm-hmm. Because everyone, you know, like you said, you, you may never know. But as long as that number keeps going down, mm-hmm. that's a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've get we get feedback a lot of you know from veterans that I know I I worked with this guy several years ago it was oh I don't know 10, 11 years ago and he he had a suicide attempt and he lived it was a gunshot wound to the head and and he lived and he was so glad that he lived even though he had chronic pain he had you know he had kids and and he's doing great now I mean he's he's doing he's doing great he owns a construction company I mean he's got his life back a different life than he had before. (laughs) So we, you know, we hear those stories and they're, they're kind of anecdotal and, you know, we may not have a way to prove that in a chart, but we know that the, the way that we help our veterans does work. Um, because we've had a lot of them that are right on the edge of, of having an attempt or maybe did have an attempt, but survived. And and we see them go on and, and do pretty well. So that's, that keeps me going. I know that. Yeah, it's good to know. <laughs> it's always good to good to know, like, you know, what we're doing. And, you know, a lot of what we do does come down from mandates and directives and things from national and everything. And, you know, they're, uh, you know, some, you know, it's VA is huge. So there's not always going to be changes that you agree with. But, you know, I do think we see the benefit of a lot of what is coming out and, you mm-hmm. know, what we are trying to do. And, um, 
so that that helps too. You know, we're we know we're doing things that we know make an impact and make a difference. Now, can you put a number to that? I, you know, I don't know. Well, I don't know because I was looking at that chart you were talking about today in new employee orientation, and you know that year that veteran deaths dropped was the year that this you know the uniform screen got implemented mm-hmm. with with the VA. You know, just the universal screen. That we ask, and that's probably some of the questions you said that people are sick of being asked. But, you know, really, it, it's very detailed. It asks, you know, are you having any thoughts of hurting yourself or wanting to die? I mean, are you having any, do you have a plan for that? Have you had a plan for that recently? Have you had a suicide attempt ever? Was that in the last month? You know, that that kind of stuff, very specific, last three months. Um, and that really kind of opens up that conversation. And so those kind of universal screens are they're required annually for all veterans to have. Um, and, and then, you know, there's a, there's a whole process in place after that, depending on how they answer. And I think that, that asks veterans questions in a way that maybe hadn't been asked. Um, so they can, they can kind of zoom out from their own life and see like, Hmm, well, that does sound kind of bad that, <laughs> that, you know, I, I'm doing all this and having these thoughts like, Hmm, okay. And so we, I mean, I think that's helped a lot. Because yeah. it's it's a way that we're, you know, kind of strategically screening everybody regularly. Yeah. Well, and I don't think that was happening before. I remember at the VA when that wasn't, when before we had the universal screening uh, and the risk ID process. Yeah. Well, and it's like you said, you ask people those questions and it does maybe force them to take a little bit closer look because, you know, not everybody's very self-aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> that yeah, happens. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm feeling crappy i don't know why oh well it you know but if you take a second and think about it mm-hmm. and somebody asks you the right question you know a little awareness yeah i mean if you're uh, working a hard job and you've got a family you're raising and you're not sleeping and you're you know you're just out of joint you're just trying to keep one foot in front of the other you're not especially folks in our age range where we've got parents and kids and you just got so many balls in the air no one's really thinking about themselves they're thinking about just you know giving 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 mm-hmm. yeah i gotta get it done mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know i gotta be at this thing or that thing or i gotta do this thing or work this overtime or whatever and it's very easy and that's you know on the firefighter police officer side you talk to guys and or girls and that's what it is they're just I i'm mean, fine yeah what I'm, do you mean yeah i <laughs> no, i I'm totally fine working 96 hours straight. It's not a big deal. <laughs> when is the last time you slept? <laughs> you know? Then, I mean, at least for us, I mean, that's one of the big things is, you know, the circadian rhythm getting all jacked mm-hmm. up and the lack of sleep and then which seeing trauma over and over and over again. It just kind of, it's that stacking effect, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So There's only so much of that a person's brain can take before... You just went out. Yeah. And some people can handle it better than other people. And some people, you know, can't handle it at all. But, I mean, does that make them a bad firefighter or a bad cop? No. Or it they just, just means they need more self-care or yeah. mm-hmm. to talk to somebody. Or they may just, you know, eventually get to the point where they, they choose a different kind of life. Yeah. Very true. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about asking the question, you know, when we ask those questions and I think it's important, uh, it's important how you ask that question too. Mm -hmm. If we talk about barriers to care, I mean, uh, so we, you know, we, you know, we 
2018, the suicide risk identification strategy rolled out, which put that screen in essentially all <clears throat> access points of the VA. Because prior to that, largely those questions were being asked within the mental health service line, which, you know, people would make sense if you're coming to mental health. It's a possibility you may be having these kind of thoughts. But then going back to that data that continued to tell us that, you know, most of the veterans that were dying by suicide, even the ones that were with the VA, we're not connected to mental health at all. So now that screening, annual screen, is to be completed wherever a veteran presents for care. So if that's your eye appointment, your ophthalmologist really? is going to ask you mm -hmm. a series of questions. If that screen is due, or audiology, or any of the other Or you come places, into the emergency yeah. room with a broken foot, you're going to get asked about mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So. Wow. Um, but it's not just, you know, and we, we work with our providers on this a lot, you know, our hospital staff about, it's not just, you know, asking the questions and having the conversation. It's how you ask, you know, you I tell people, to care. Mm -hmm. and I tell people a lot that this is when I frame it this way, um, you know, this could be the very first time this individual has told somebody that they've had suicidal thoughts. You could be the very first person they're telling. And if you ask it in a way that says, please, God, don't say yes, because I don't want to deal with this right now, then do we really think that's going to increase the chances of that individual saying yes the next time somebody asks? Probably not. So, you know, model the conversations that we want to have about this subject. You know, model to them that it's okay to talk about this. This is a conversation we want to have. I want to have it with you because I want to help. And express that with your eye contact, your body language, your conversation style. You know, ask it that way to encourage this conversation. Um, you know, I keep going back to barriers. Negative experiences when previously reaching out for help is a barrier. So don't reinforce that barrier. Don't add to that barrier. You know, if you don't ask the question, that didn't change whether they were suicidal or not. You just didn't ask, and we delayed them getting help. That's all that happened. So, yeah. you know, ask that question, but ask it in a way that shows that you you want the want real answer, the answer, and you yeah. want to help and you want to have this conversation. Well, I think that's something that's very, and, and I don't want to say that it's lacking in our society today, mm -hmm. but it goes back to the point of everybody's got to get it done. We're, mm -hmm. Everybody's busy, 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 busy. Take the time when you're communicating with people mm -hmm. and listen to what they're saying and respond appropriately, mm -hmm. you know, be present with the person you're talking to. And especially when you're asking questions like that, you really need to be present. Mm -hmm. Cause like you said, that could be the first time that they're going to say that mm -hmm. or, and it totally might depend on how you ask the question. Yeah. So, you know, again, when we go out into the communities, not just our staff, you know, same way, same thing, encouraging people to ask it the right way, the appropriate way. Um, because, you know, we know if, if we can get individuals engaged in care, get them in treatment, get them help, whether VA or non-VA, it makes a significant dif difference as far as their suicide risk and the chances of them potentially having a suicidal behavior at some point. So, yeah. Cool. Yep. So, you guys do, what did you say, five outreaches a month? Or yeah, year? minimum, mandatory. Minimum. minimum. Yeah. So, I mean, where do you guys go? Well, uh, you know, it's all over, <laughs> all over, um, you know, tabling events, you know, we get invited to mental health summits. We, uh, you know, cold call, um, 
you know, organizations or we're going to be at the VFW convention in a couple weeks convention. You know, we, it's something we actively look for and seek out, you know, these events, these opportunities to talk to individuals. And, you know, we've been doing it enough that some things just kind of come our way too. you know, Mm -hmm. people say, Hey, um, you know, we got this so-and-so group. They were wanting somebody to talk about suicide prevention. You know, would you all be able to do that? And we're like, yes, please. Yeah. Tell us when and where we're there. Um, so uh, you know, it's being familiar, you know, with our community, uh, but also building relationships and making relationships in the community, you know, because if you come and you're genuine and you give good information and you seem like a stand up person that wants to help, you know, they remember you and they want you to come back or they want, they were, you know, give your name to somebody else. And it just kind of, you know, builds and builds and builds. Um, we also, we have a public affairs officer at the VA that's, you know, really connected to the community. And so, uh, he heads our outreach committee for the VA, Kansas City VA, and usually there's uh, quite a few events or uh, opportunities uh, that are discussed in the outreach meetings that, you know, we can jump on board with or, uh, yeah, so it's various avenues. It's just about networking and, you know, building those relationships in the community, so. So basically just anywhere you can get in. Yeah, I mean, really, anybody that'll listen to us, you know, we... Anyone who asks us, we we, we try, really. We try the most we can. There's several of us, so we try to spread that out. But, yeah, we want to be out there and and talking to groups. Yeah, and we're free, too, so we'll come talk to anybody. Yeah. That's even better. We have have thousands of stress balls we can give away, too. (laughs) Yeah, the swag is always nice. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah, we do. I mean, that's... We get, you know, our tabling events. Everybody always comes up and is like, wow, you've got quite the array here. And I'm like, well, Please take I it. get about four <laughs> pallets of this stuff a year. Yeah. Which it's, you know, it's promotional items for the Veterans Crisis Line. It's important to get that information out there. And, you know, but it's it's stress balls and, you know, the bracelets and things like that. We get a ton of it. Um, but it's not so much, you know, handing somebody a stress ball. It's the conversation that happens when you're handing them or throwing the stress ball at them or, you <laughs> mm-hmm. know. And just making them, making them aware of the crisis line yeah. and having it, you know, writ, that's on so many different items that we can give out. So that might be handy when they need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it sounds like you guys are pretty passionate about what you do, which Definitely. is fantastic to see. So. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you can't do this disingenuously if I just made a word up there. Everyone knows what I mean, yeah. right? You mm-hmm. can't come into this, um, you know, because, you know, we were talking about like burnout and just kind of how you guys, you know, do that day after day. You got to want to be there. Yeah. You know, you got to want to do the work. You want to got to want to be in the position. You got to want to help. You know, you won't got to want to make a difference in knowing what you're dealing with. Because um, if you're just doing it for the check or whatever, it's you, not, you're not going to be you're, effective. You're not going to be effective and you're not going to make it. Yeah. And you're, you know, going to have a negative impact on the population you're trying to work with. Yeah. But that's very similar to being a firefighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You probably want to be there. Any of the helping professions probably kind of like that yeah well i think there's certain personality types that are attracted to those kind of jobs you know i don't have any data on that but that's my own personal belief (laughs) (laughs) i'm not a spreadsheet person per se (laughs) (laughs) i am (laughs) it takes it takes some of us too i you know 
that, that's important too. <laughs> no, it is. But well, and that kind of goes back to the whole metric of success and failure yeah. and all that mm-hmm. stuff. You've got to know what you're doing. Yeah. You got to keep track of what you're doing. Yeah. You have to have the data, you know, mm-hmm. and we do the same thing, you know, with the fire department. And that's why, you know, you can look and see, well, fires overall are down, mm-hmm. right? For the past 20 years, they've kind of gone down and down and down. Why is that? Because we did a big push of fire safety awareness and Mm -hmm. getting building codes changed and mandating sprinklers and all that stuff. You know, we had a hand in all of that. Sure. So we've kind of worked ourselves down to where, okay, well, now what do we do? We're not putting out fires every day, so we have to pivot. And now we're going to do EMS and, you know, we run Mm -hmm. car wrecks and things like that just to... You know, we stay relevant. We're a, yeah, we're an emergency service. We're not just a fire department anymore. And that's nationwide. Every fire department I know of does the same thing. Mm. They run EMS calls, mm. fires, any type of call that somebody doesn't know what to do, they call us. Mm-hmm. And we have to show up and have to have some kind of answer. <laughs> so <laughs> it, can, it can get interesting sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. You've got lots of stories. <laughs> uh, yeah. Iguana in a pine tree. Okay. That yeah. sounds like a 911 call. Uh, yes. <laughs> so that's the next step of our education of the public of what is an emergency and what isn't an emergency. <laughs> right. No kidding. <laughs> so you guys have the veteran crisis line. Uh-huh. And that, and I'm assuming that's active 24 hours a day, yep. seven days a week. Oh, yes. absolutely. Yes. Do you know that we're getting a shortcut number for the crisis line? Have you heard that? I have not heard that. Okay. It goes live on July 16th, so it's not working yet, but it's okay. um, 988 is the number. Okay. So the other number will still work too. Um, the 1-800-273-8255, that is active now. This other one, 988, will ring to the same place, same people, same kind of response. Just a sh- easier number to remember. Yeah. So July 16th is when that goes live. Okay. I will make sure that I put that in the mm-hmm. in the notes of the description. So what, I mean, what brought that on of like making it like a 911, like an emergency number? I, I think it was, it was just they thought that was maybe part of why people weren't calling. Um, and, you know, they've seen... That be effective in other countries. I think they they told us recently on a national call about England implemented something similar, and it their call volume went up by a lot. So what that kind of told them is that there is a need for you know response, but it just needs to be easier to get to. Right. So that's why you know we're anticipating our calls will go up quite a bit. <laughs> um, yeah. Maybe not right away, but within the next few weeks after that that uh, that goes live. I think, you know, I think also (laughs) when someone's in crisis and they're struggling and, you know, or, you know, if they are, uh, you know, struggling with suicidal thoughts there in the moment, um, to have them sit there and dial out a 1-800 number to talk to somebody just seems, yeah. And the, but don't get me wrong. The crisis line has been since its inception and the amount of calls that it takes that they take in daily and those crisis responders that take, I mean, they, they take a lot of time, and they they're they're very they, attentive. I mean, they have they have earned their angel wings, if that's a thing. Yeah. I mean, they those you know the the help that they provide, you know the because you know they don't know what's on the other end of the phone when they answer. Hello, you've contacted the military veterans crisis line. How can I help you? Or whatever they say. I don't know if they say that exactly. Um, but 
Yeah, to me, I think that's part of it, cutting it down to something that's simpler. So if somebody's really struggling in emotional distress, they're not starting one 800 what is it? You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like at that, that's just another stressor. Then they're going to give up. Then yeah. they're going to give up yeah. and not call. Yeah. Well, I mean, so. yeah, if I would have been at that point where I was actually going to call, yeah. 988 would have been that's way, way easier. easier. <laughs> right. right. I mean, I didn't have to call because, mm. you know, my wife tackled me. So mm-hmm. that was, you know. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> Twice, yeah. <laughs> and so, but yeah, if I would have tried to utilize that, 988 would have been so much simpler mm-hmm. and so much easier. And yeah, I think better. Yeah. So. But we're, we're strong advocates, obviously, of the Veterans Crisis Line. You know, we talk to tons of veterans that use it. And, you know, it is 24-7. And, you know, I think it's important to know that, you know, if you need immediate emergency help, that, that crisis line is going to get it there real quick and in a hurry. But if you just need to talk, that's what the crisis line's for. It is not uncommon, if not the norm, that a responder will talk to a veteran for an hour, hour and a half, two hours. And then that's it. That's just the call. You know, they just talk, they listen, they, you know, provide feedback, they provide support, and then they get them linked to the nearest, uh, you know, VA for wherever they called out of. So, you know, obviously all the calls that come out of the Kansas City catchment area get funneled to the Kansas City VA for follow-up. And then the suicide prevention team will contact that veteran the next business day and just say, hey, so you called the Veterans Crisis Line, want to check in with you, see how you're doing, and see what else we can do for you. Um, so it can be as simple as that, you know, we've, you know, again, I, the barrier drum, I keep beating that, but I've heard, you know, veterans talk about, oh, no, I'm not calling that thing because I want the sheriff at my house. I'm like, well, yeah. just because you call doesn't mean they're coming. Now, if you're not safe, can't keep yourself safe or request help, it's going to get there. But if you, you know, are okay, they're going to assess you though. They're going to, they're going to make their determination of that. Yeah. But the vast majority in the last uh, data number I saw was 97% of calls nationally just end in a phone call. So it's only less than 3% of calls nationally. And they take something like over 2000 calls a day that actually ends in a rescue. So, or a welfare check of some sort. We also like to encourage family or friends to call the veterans crisis line if they have something going on with somebody else and they want to mm-hmm. know how to help them because that is very stressful when you're, mm-hmm. you know, with someone who's in crisis and you don't know what to do. So that's also a, a good resource for anyone. You know, you don't have to be a veteran to call it. If you call that number and then you press one, you'll get to the veterans phone bank, but it, you know, it's for any, anybody in the U S the, the nine eight eight and the, the one 800 number is for anybody. Yeah. Um, so they can call if they've got a buddy they're worried about. They're not real sure how to approach them um, and how to get them help. They'll walk you walk the person through it. Yeah, and that's something that we talk about a lot is paying attention to the people around you, your friends, family, mm-hmm. loved ones, neighbors, neighbors. If there's somebody that's struggling, reach out to them because you know sometimes it is just a conversation, mm-hmm. and that's all that needs to happen. But also let them know what the resources are mm-hmm. if you know, they're really struggling and they need more care than you can per se provide mm-hmm. more than just a conversation. Let them know there are people out there that you can point them towards. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned reach out. <clears throat> that was last year's uh, September VA's national suicide prevention month slogan was reach out. Um, I'm not sure what the one will be this year, but in effect it was, you know, it was kind of twofold. One, 
you know, reach out to, you know, your veterans and military members and, you know, families that you're worried about that you recognize that aren't doing well, or, you know, maybe they seem like they're doing well, but yet, you know, they're going through a divorce. They've, you know, they're going through employment issues, you know, the finances are not going well, you know, or they're having some medical issues and having a lot of visits, you know, they seem to be all right, but you know, you know, these are those, they've got risk factors, these are those baseline mm-hmm. risk factors that increase the chances of somebody having a suicidal crisis. doesn't mean it's going to happen. Cause, but that's, that's the foundation. Those yeah. kinds of things set the foundation, you know, and then there's a lot of other things that you throw in there with it, but being proactive and just checking in, you know, letting people know that they're not alone, that they don't have to go through these things alone, that mm-hmm. they actually are a part and they're not, you know, uh, disconnected from a social support system. Um, and you don't have to be, you know, a doctor or a psychiatrist or a psychologist to do that, to yeah. show somebody you care. Just reach out. What? Believe it or not. <laughs> Believe it or not. Um, yeah. And so just, you know, uh, on the other side, you know, being proactive when we recognize we're not doing well, that we're starting to, you know, stress is getting to us, reaching out then. Yeah. So twofold, you know, like so like you said, just reach out. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it'd be genuine. Mm-hmm. You know, it, Facebook friends are not friends. Let's. Just say that right now and get that out of the way. Being a friend is you got to be genuine, actually care about what the person is going through. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's who you need to reach out to because you have those people in your life. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Jamie, other questions for us? Um, (laughs) Not that I can think of right off the top of my head. Um, Do you guys have anything that you would like to touch on that we haven't touched on Hmm. this is the only opportunity that you're ever going to get to say any of these things we know we know it's a lot of pressure (laughs) (laughs) oh you know i mean just the echoing everything we've been talking about here today you know you know want to be aware of the the warning signs you know people talking about not wanting to live anymore you know, even the offhand comments, you know, like, oh, if I walked outside, got hit by a bus right now, it wouldn't be a big deal, it wouldn't bother me. I'm like, well, where'd that come from? You know, follow up mm-hmm. on that, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know. And, and if you hear someone say, what's the point? That's a really big, that's, they're right on the edge there. <laughs> got to pay attention to that. Yeah. I mean, I, I tell people to think about what hopelessness looks like and what it sounds like. You know, when people start to feel like there's no way out or things are never going to get better, you know, what does that sound like? So just be mindful of those things and and checking in, you know, with your loved ones and the people you care about and the people that you recognize, even if, even if they're not one of your loved ones and you really don't particularly care for them anyway, (laughs) you know, please still, you know, do the, you know, humanitarian thing and be like, you know, how are you? Um, And just, you know, check in with the people uh, and, and be encouraging. Yeah. And let them know resources are there. There's resources available out there for support, for help. It's not just the VA for veterans. I mean, there's other resources out there. So, um, get connected somewhere cause it does make a difference. Yeah. There's a ton of nonprofits. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Kara. I don't think I have anything to add. Nothing? No. Not a single... Well, the stuff I care about is like all the spreadsheet and the statistics that no one cares about, so it's really boring to talk about. (laughs) I'm that person on our team. (laughs) Well, there's always got to be one, There's got to be somebody Mm -hmm. keeping an eye on that. Yeah. That stuff's boring to talk about. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, maybe not, but I'll take your word for yeah, it. Yeah, so, it is. <laughs> thank you guys so much for coming. I really appreciate it. Um, closing thoughts. I know you kind of just went through yours a little bit. No, what he said. What he said. What he said. Wow. <laughs> She's just handing that baton right yep. off to you. <laughs> yep. He's good at what he does. He is. That's why I asked right. him to join us. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. That's, yeah, man, great information, and it was great talk. I really appreciate you guys. So, um, yeah, and he said everything that I normally say closing the show, so <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, if you're struggling, reach out. If you know somebody that's struggling, reach out. Let them know you care. Let them know what the resources are around you. Um, yeah, and hope everybody has a great day, and we'll see you next time.